What if God was one of us? I'm going to admit, was one of us, were one of us. Somebody said to me this week, couldn't you just say, and he's one of these people, you know, one of these grammar police types, couldn't you just say, if God were one of us? Can't you just say that? I said, ah, you know. I said, that's, uh, it's, it's poetic license. Artists can do anything, okay? But um, nonetheless, what if God were one of us? I'll say it that way. I really thought a lot about this whole theme because we decided on this song way back, I think, in, in somewhere in May. And, uh, and I've had a lot of time to think through it and so forth. And, and uh, one of the things that I did was I just started thinking about that whole thing. How would it be different if God were one of us? And, of course, the Jim Carrey movie, um, Bruce Almighty, gave us some, some thoughts in, in terms of that. So I just made a list of some things. Um, of how things would be different if God were one of us. And, and I, I want to preface this by saying these aren't funny, okay? Let me just say that in the beginning. These aren't funny. So if you think you're supposed to laugh, don't. And I'm saying that based upon the response in the early service, basically. I just, so, 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 you know, manage your expectations. So uh, some of them are supposed to, were supposed to be funny, but anyway, I'm going to run through them all, and I'll spend time on one and just kind of blow through the other ones because... This stiffed out earlier. But um, the first thing wasn't meant to be funny. It's true. It, 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 here's how things would be totally different if God were one of us. He would never be petty, argumentative, or cantankerous. Well, that's true. Um, he would never overindulge. And if he did, it would be okay. Just think about that. He could overindulge and he would never gain weight. Wouldn't that be great? He, he could go into cold stone creamer, eat everything he wanted to eat, and never, never bother him. You know, wouldn't that be great? Uh, he would smile and he would mean it when New Jersey drivers lay on their horns. I mean, I have smiled before, and you have too, and in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, I've got a place right here for you. You, you know, you, you're thinking up your nose with a rubber hose, whatever. Um, God would mean his smile. He would mean it. Okay? Um, he wouldn't cuss when his golf ball went right or left. Of course, you could argue this golf ball wouldn't go right or left. It'd go straight every time, you know. But um, I'm not, that's not a confession, necessarily. Um, nor is this one. He would see women for who they are, not for what they look like. That's just for guys here who sometimes struggle with some, you know, pettiness. Um, see, I got the same response in the 930 crowd on that one. They didn't, people didn't know whether to laugh. I love telling jokes like that because people don't know whether to laugh or not. They don't know whether that's a chauvinist thing or not. I don't, I don't know that it is, but anyway. Um, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't judge by appearances is basically the thing. God would not judge by appearances. He would never judge by appearances. Uh, here's one. I'll just take, take most of my time. He wouldn't think the people at the, New York court, um, at the New York City courthouse are a bunch of intelligence-challenged dorks. Okay? And you're saying, what is, what is that? Where is that coming from? Um, anybody ever been in a New York, in New, not New York, not New Jersey, New York City courthouse? I had my recent um, expedition there. Uh, I had to be in the city anyway, but I had to do this because I'm, I'm marrying a couple next next Saturday. And um, you, you know, and I've married people all over the freaking world, okay? And in many, and I've I've done weddings in the, I've done. I've done a ton of weddings in the back bowls of Vail, but I mean, that's nothing. I mean, when you live there, and I've done hot air balloon weddings, I've done weddings everywhere. You know, who do you get licensed to do a hot air balloon wedding? You know, what state are you in then? Whose space are you in? But in New York City, you have to have something different, not the state. You have to be registered. 
And, and when my friend, um, the groom, told me, I said, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just marry you, and then we'll send in the thing, and they'll deal with it. Because even in New Jersey, it's not that big of a deal when I moved here. I, you know, the main thing is you just have to prove that you're a pastor of a, of a legitimate church and so forth. Which I guess we could argue. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we won't go there now. But, but, um, um, so, but for New York to, to do a wedding in, in the city, you have, to have, you have to be registered with, not the state, even if you're in New York State, you have with the city. So he, so my friend, the groom's a lawyer, and I said, "Ah, so he said, no, 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 we got to do this right legally." And I said, "Okay." So he got he got the the, the, the courthouse down on uh, Center Street, I think, down, downtown, downtown, almost downtown. And uh, I got there, and it was just it's just a mess. I mean, it's a marriage license department, and and it's a bunch of people there getting ready to get married. And didn't quite figure this one out. A bunch of guys my age with, with women my daughter's age who didn't speak English, and they're getting married. I'm not sure where that's going, but anyway, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But anyway, you got you got you got lots of stuff going on, and and you got people there with their suitcases ready to get their what, what you know to get their wedding license, their marriage license. And so I, I'm kind of kind of you know navigating my way through this to find out who I'm supposed to speak with. And we had been online, and my, my lawyer groom friend had told me, he gave me all the stuff, and I had Tammy, our business manager, just give me untold amounts of, of crap of paper with, you know, Renaissance Church and Rich Teeters, and he's real, and he's legitimate, and he was ordained here, and he was this, and, and the whole thing. And part of that's also because we're not affiliated with the denomination. So I got all my, I got a briefcase full of papers. You know, a couple over here in the corner who who look like, you know, they're ready to consummate their marriage the moment they get that piece of paper. And, uh, I mean, it's all over each other. So it's just this, this whole thing, this whole zoo is going on here. And then I get to the lady, she says, you don't have the proper documentation. And I'm like, oh, jeez, okay. And, 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 you know, and I'm, so my thought as I was preparing this is how would God have handled this had he been one of us? And, of course, my next thought was, I don't think he probably would have handled it the way that I handled it, which is often the case, actually. So anyway, so I start, I start bringing out my paperwork. All my, I just started just overloading her with that. I said, look, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, and you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and uh, she says, oh, okay. And I looked at her and I said, trust me, I'm legit. Okay? And uh, probably wasn't the thing to say because that made her even more suspicious Okay, well, you got to do this, and you got to go over here, and you got to do this. You know, the whole, the whole thing. Finally, by the way, finally, just so you'll see this, look what I have right here. This is Certificate of Marriage Efficient Registration to certify that Richard Teeters was registered with the office of the city clerk, New York City. Okay, right there. I, I'm legal now. Yeah. If anybody wants to get married in this city, it's a lifetime thing. So there's no expiration as long as I'm live. Uh, and, but then, then the trouble started again. Because then she says, okay, and you know how they are, these, some, of the, some of these people, um, which is a terrible thing to say. But, um, okay, now here's how you fill out a marriage license. You know, they gave me this thing. And then here's, how you, here's the other things you do. And then, oh, and then she says, here, here's the other thing. Uh, this is for your marriage vows. This is what we would like to see your marriage vows say. Well, that was when the old switch went off. And that was when if God was one of us, he wouldn't have been what Rich was. Because I don't get angry and yell. I just get very sarcastic. And I just say, really? I said it about like that. She said, yeah. I said, dang. 
I've been doing this 25 freaking years. All those people, that, that, they, that doesn't count. None of the, I've done hundreds of weddings all over, and they don't count because I didn't use your wedding vows. I didn't use your wedding vows. And she was like, well, sir, we just like, and I said, I'll take your wedding vows. Okay, anyway, and they have, you know, here it is. I mean, what is this? They, they want you to include, is there anyone present today who knows of any legal reason why this couple should? I'm not going to say that. I never have said that in a wedding. I don't want some dork standing up in the middle of a wedding saying, hey, I don't think they should get married. I'm not going to deal with that. You know, I never have. <laughs> anyway, so they can do the whole thing with this. And the point was, and I've, and see, I could give you something else to imitate right there. Okay. Um, the, point, the point is on this whole thing, little self-confession here. If God were one of us, I think he would have handled it a little bit. I left peaceably and I just said, hey, you, you know, you're terrific. Thank you. And I was nice and lied through my teeth and told them how a great job they did and just got the heck out of there. But uh, once I got my little certificate. But um, how many times have we been in situations like that where, you know, God would certainly handle it a lot different if he were one of us. One of my original illustrations was to use the DMV. Sometimes, sometimes some of us have been to the DMV and some of the situations that we get in there and so forth and spend, you know, I think I grew a beard at the DMV. But, but um, um, if God were one of us, things would be a lot different. A couple other things very quickly. He wouldn't, he wouldn't find people of the opposing parties, uh, of the opposing political parties, just inane idiots. You're feeling that way with people of the opposite political party of you? They're just idiots. God wouldn't feel that way. He wouldn't blame the president for the hurricanes either. That's another thing, you know. Everybody's blaming the president for, how did, how did George Bush do that? How did he create two hurricanes in a month? Man, it's amazing. Um, and and, and the, other, the biggest thing, he would, he, God wouldn't wish the Red Sox would crash and burn, you know. But he would be a Yankee fan. I do want to say that, okay. Um, um, things would be a lot different if God were one of us. That's the point. He would handle things a lot differently than you do and what I do many, many times. And that's what I want to just spend the rest of our time talking about. I want to make two very simple points. What if God were one of us? The first point is very simple. God did come to earth as one of us. God did come to earth as one of us. He came to earth in the person of Jesus. And that's such an important concept. I'm going to show you just a few verses from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to start reading in a moment. I'm going to show it to you. Verses 5 through 8. And we're going to look at that, talk about that a moment. And then I'm going to go back to the verses before that. Just hang on to that. I'll show you why I'm doing that in a moment. God did come to earth as one of us. And let me show you this in the Bible. I think the clearest passage, and there are many, but one of the clearest passages in the Bible that talks about that is Philippians in the New Testament. Chapter 2. Begins in verse 5. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. Took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus came to earth and he is God. He was and is and always will be God. God was one of us in the form of the person, the person of Jesus. 
And that's an important concept for us to grab hold of. There's a lot of theological stuff here. I'm going to just kind of give you the, just kind of hit the top part of it very quickly. We call this hypostatic union theologically, hypostatic union meaning that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. 100% God, you you can't take away from the fact that he was deity, he was God. And you can't take away from the fact that he was not just, he was a man. And as we saw last week, if you were here, we read that passage in Hebrews. It's a passage in the book of Hebrews. Maybe you've read it, maybe you've not. And there's a passage there that says, He was tempted in every way that you and I are. And he is, and was. Or I should say was. Um, this, is, this is really what, another little theological thing. I just want you to, it, it, this is called, by the way, the kenosis passage. It's a Greek word for emptying. And, and, and that comes from having become human, he stayed human. Excuse me, back up. He says, he set aside the privileges of deity, back up there. He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. And then and you keep reading again, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. It's an old song I remember as a kid, and many of you probably, even if you had, had been in church, probably won't remember this, but there was an old song many years ago that they would sing around Easter time at the church I went to. And, uh, and it was, he could have called 10,000 angels. And it talks about the fact that Jesus on the cross could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him. But then the song goes on to say, he didn't, he died for you and me, which is truly what happened. And of course he rose again for you and me as well. So, if God were one of us, well, God was one of us. He came to earth as one of us in the person of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to show you. What the Apostle Paul often does in the Bible, he gives us some doctrinal stuff, and then either before that or after that, he will give us the application to that, meaning do this, don't do this, do this, but it's always based on either what has happened before or what comes later in terms of of, of doctrinal truth. In this case, the doctrinal truth is Jesus came to earth as man. The doctrinal truth is Jesus was God, but he was also man. Okay, now, so what? So what? In other words, since he was one of us, what difference does that make? So let me show you this. Since he was one of us, I want to go back to the passages that are, that, are, that are before this that I just read. And in a moment, we're going to do the whole thing to show you. Here he says, here's how we should live based on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So here it goes. Since Jesus was or God was one of us, he says, do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And I would add this in parenthesis. It's not Bible, but a comment. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand, and not just at certain times. Right now, it's fresh in all of our minds because we've been just getting hammered with it on television for the last month between Katrina and between Rita and and, and many of us all across the country uh, here are just, you know, our hearts are are touched and and we want to pour out what we can, money or stuff or whatever we can give. And that's good. That is very good. Point here is the Bible says we should be like that all the time, not just when we see some horrible tragedy on television. He says, uh, forget yourselves long enough to, to lend a helping hand. So here, here is his point. Based on the fact that Jesus is God and God became one of us in the person of Jesus, here's how you should live. Like Jesus lived. 
So let's put it all together. And let me just read to you in the New Living. Those were all the message paraphrase verses. These, this is the New Living Translation. Let me just put it all together and read it from verse 1 to verse 8. Follow along. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one another in per- with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. There it is. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude, now here it comes, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. God was one of us. And he showed us how to live. And he showed us how to have the right spirit and the right attitude. That's why so many times I talk about having the right spirit of Jesus. We had a thing that, in our, really in our culture, and it's still going on. Many times you'll see this little, little bracelet. Some of you still wear them, a little WWJD. What would Jesus do? And those, those were fine. Nothing wrong. Not quite as, there for a while, it was sort of a fashion plate. The only, the only really challenge that I have ever had with that, well, I love that spirit. Um, but the problem that I have with that is I don't always know what Jesus would do. Because Jesus was God. I was in a situation um, when that was really popular, and, and, and I was in a situation as a pastor where I was in court to, to help somebody, and they were being accused of some things, and, and they were telling me one thing, and the court was saying another, and it was a real tense time. And, um, and it was a big community-wide scandal, and it was just not a, not a fun time at all for me because I wanted to do what was right, and I wanted to love my friend and try to help and I, but I just didn't know, and, and, and so we, were, we had a recess for the weekend recess thing, and, and I was just really struggling with it, and I was talking to a friend who knew the whole situation, and I said, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer the questions they're going to answer, or they're going to ask. And um, he said, well, what would Jesus do? And I just lost it. I said, listen, you idiot, I don't know what Jesus would do. Because, you know, if, if Jesus knows whether he's lying to him or not, I don't know that. You know, that's the problem here. You know, and, and so, so I love the spirit, but it doesn't always work that way. Because I'm very finite. I just don't know. And I'm easily lied to. Jesus, you know, Jesus could look right at you and he knew because he was God. And what I want us to understand from that is we need, we need the spirit of Jesus. And that's what we're commanded to hear from the Bible. Um, and here's the thing that's kind of cool about this. Being Christ-like means several things. It means that we're to be giving. It means that we're to be generous. It means that we are to be gracious. It means that certainly there's a lack of pettiness. There's a lack of, 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 of if you want to use the word, as this is in the song, a lack of slobbiness, because being a slob is just being selfish usually, uh, if not always. But here's what I want you to see, and this is really important to me. The roots of don't be selfish are grounded not in humanitarianism, but in being a follower of Christ. And I want to say that again. I don't have that for you on PowerPoint because it just really hit me me in the night. Um, The roots of don't be selfish are grounded not in humanitarianism, 
but they're grounded in being a follower of Christ. I'm a humanitarian. I care about people. I care about all people. Why? Because of who God is and how he brought Jesus to earth. And Jesus cared about people because, he, because they were valuable to him. All people, not some people. All colors, all sizes, all, all levels of intelligence, all cultures, all of them are stamped with what we call the Imago Dei, the image of God. And that comes not from just being a humanitarian. Humanitarians are great. They love people. They care about people. But, but true humanitarianism is grounded in being a follower of Christ, not just in being caring about humans. I care about humans because they were created by a God. Um, that's why the Bible says in, in, in the New American Standard Bible in Philippians 2, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That comes from the Bible. That's the truth of Scripture. Um, I have a thing, and I want to do this very quickly, and our time's almost gone. I want to do this very quickly and, and just get you to think through this because I call these the, the seven faces of selflessness because when we talk about being selfless, opposite of being selfish, we need to just some, some expansion on that a little bit. We need to elucidate that just a little bit and, uh, because what does that mean to be selfless? So I'm going to give you seven, seven things to think through. It means to give honor to others. It means you listen to them. Don't just listen, but you listen. You know what I mean by that. You know, it, it, we, we see that today, and, and, and I've done it, and you probably have too. You ever been talking to someone in a conversation, hopefully not your mate, but you ever been talking to someone in a conversation, and all of a sudden they pick up, uh, and they just start talking, or they just start answering somebody on their trio or their Blackberry? I mean, and that's happened, and you feel just a little less valued. You're thinking, hey, we were talking. We were conversing. All of a sudden, I'm a non-entity. You know, and we, we, many of us have done that. And, it's, uh, and, and I'm not going to tell you I've never done that. But, you know, one of the ways we can show honor is by letting people know, I'm listening to you. It's an important concept. I'm not saying you can't take a phone call or a text message or something if it's important, if it needs to be. But, you know, some, some rules of decorum might help. Um, Give honor to others. Listen, you give value. You have genuine concern. That's what it means to give honor to others. A second thing, be more interested in others. Be interested in them, who they are, how they are, the kids, wife, husband, parents, whatever. Be interested in them. Um, you don't have to insist upon your way. That's part of this whole thing. I don't have to have my way. Um, you can disagree without being disagreeable. That's an important concept. You can disagree with somebody of the opposite political party. And you can have good discussion. And you should be able to without, without you know, being a disagreeable person. Um, you should realize that many relationships will be one-sided. See, what do you mean by that? You ever have somebody in your life, maybe parents or something, where, where whenever you talk to them, oh, you haven't called me in a long time. How are you? What's wrong? And it's like you want to say, is this some sort of a new deal here where the phone only rings one way? I mean, you know, if I haven't talked to you in a long time, how about you calling me for a concept change, huh? Um, sometimes relationships are going to be like that. Accept it. I care about them. Let's move. It doesn't mean you should try to enable them or anything else, but yeah, sometimes if we're going to be selfless, we don't get hung up on that stuff. I don't have to be right. That's another one. I can be right, and I don't have to cop an attitude. That's the other thing sometimes when you know you're right. 
Basically, one commentary put this. I'm going to quote this because I think it's a great statement from a commentary that I read. Instead of, instead of concentrating on self, each believer should be concerned for the interest of others. Preoccupation with oneself is sin. Self-domination. Preoccupation with oneself is sin. What if God was one of us? He was. And he came in the person of Jesus. And he showed us, certainly he came to die, to be raised again, and to give us eternal life. He also came to show us how to live, show us how to be selfless. I want to close with this prayer. I didn't write this prayer. A very good friend of mine did, and I can't, they're here, and I can't, uh, I was asked to not give the name, so I won't, but, but um, it's a great prayer. And um, just, just look at it and think about it. Maybe make it your prayer. Help me to be sensitive to others, Lord, not out of greatness with the need to bestow a gift upon them, nor out of weakness that allows me to be manipulated by them, but out of humility to express true honor to them. Isn't that a great prayer? Help me to be sensitive to others, Lord, not because they need my gift, not out of weakness that allows me to be manipulated, but out of humility to express true honor to them. Lord God, we make that our prayer. We pray that we would be able to understand and comprehend and realize just what it means to to be a servant of an almighty God, to be used wherever we are, whatever we do, just in our everyday walks of life life, as, as as a tool of our creator. What a neat deal. What a privilege that is. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us Jesus because he was one of us, is one of us. Showed us how to live in the right way. And Lord, we thank you that he lived among us, suffered for us, died for us, and then went to the tomb and was buried and then rose again for us as well. Not only that we would have eternal life in heaven, but that we could know how and have the power to live here on earth through a relationship with you, through Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for the time that we've had here. We just uh, commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.